Welcome to the NFTs.WhatTheFuck podcast, hosted by Jamie Burke, where we document key moments in the NFT space. The podcast focuses on championing diversity and innovation in the NFT ecosystem. In the description down below, we've also linked the NFTs.WhatTheFuck Genesis token drop. This grants access to an additional 46 members to the NFT's What The Fuck DAO, and it acts as a launch pad for an audio documentary titled The History and Future of NFTs, produced by the NFT's What The Fuck DAO. Could you give us your name, handle, and how you describe yourself in the NFT ecosystem? So I'm Alex Amsel, uh, although most people know me as Silly Tuna, and I have been around sort of the NFT, blockchain and game space since 2013. These days, mostly I spend my time just being playful, spawning little startup projects and just buying and selling NFTs. What do NFTs mean to you? For me, we had a discussion on Twitter about this earlier today with a few people. They're a paradigm shift for short form media. Although NFTs can do a lot more than just digital media. The importance to me is the fact that an art form that has long been difficult to monetize and has long been frowned upon by the traditional art establishments, we can now do so much more than we could ever do before. I mean, even for me from the game industry, I can do things now that could never be done before. But if you're an artist who creates digital artworks or motion artworks or short animations or short films, I'm adamant that this is a new art, a new platform for them to, to sell, to interact. And they no longer need like these gallery owners to control everything and take half the money and they can actually make a living off it. And it's so difficult to do that before. So what can you do now that you couldn't do before? I mean, it sounds terrible to some people, but you can put a value on digital media that you simply couldn't do before. Although it seems a very trite thing to say, the fact that you can issue a limited edition item that's digital and people can prove that they own it and you've got the, the provenance aspects that could never be done before, not, not in a true, a truly valuable way. It was always very, very limited, very platform restricted. But now, if you think about it, and this is why it's going to revolutionize art generally, as well as many other aspects. If you wanted to do anything art-wise previously, let alone digital, you'd go into a gallery physically. You'd see some very expensive artwork. You're probably drinking a glass of wine. And they're going to, that's the only way they can get you in there to really buy anything. Art was quite inaccessible in many cases, although I know there are not really good projects to make it accessible. You had to be physically located in the gallery, and galleries are not something many people visit. And if you want to sell that artwork, it's really tremendously difficult. Not just the physical location, but like, how do people know it's real? I mean, I, I haven't got a clue. I've just sold and had a problem selling a collectible football shirt physically, which got destroyed by the packaging company. And I'm still fighting to get that, that money back. Now, in the digital world, certainly if you've seen the digital artworks, there is an international audience of all ages, but particularly youngsters, some wealthy, some not. There's this myth that it's all wealthy people. It is not. I'm, I am selling artworks to people who don't have very much. They're teenagers. And they're still buying them despite Ethereum gas fees. We can sell without friction. We can sell to anyone. We can sell instantly. We've got provenance. It's an international market. So it's a complete, complete game changer. So what got you into NFTs? I got into NFTs uh, through my interest in Bitcoin. And when I got into Bitcoin initially, I was like everyone else. Oh my God, like what is this strange new currency? But I very, very quickly realized that was the boring bit. The interesting bit was what the technology could enable. And I started reading around about these things called smart contracts, which were really just proposals at that stage from people like Mike Hearn. And I also quickly realized that, well, we can have objects on blockchains. And these objects could be game items. And I'm from the game industry. And so to me, it was a natural progression to 
well, if you can have game items on a blockchain, what would that mean? What, what would it change? Does it, does it change anything? We didn't know them as NFTs at the time, but what I was thinking about was NFTs. And so it was a natural progression again for me to be involved in the NFT scene. So what have been the three defining moments or people for you in the history of NFTs? Um, so I'm going to start with uh, a game that was on a blockchain called Counterparty. And it's, it was called Spells of Genesis. It's a trading card game from a Swiss company. And I think there had been one or two NFT things on Counterparty before, but essentially it was the first real project of notes that used what we now know as NFTs. And a, a trading card game was like a natural place to start exploring NFTs because trading cards are limited in number and they're very distinct items. And it's a digital game, so people there can be digital games, so people can easily play with them. And what they did was not just have a trading card game, but they issued cards that were playful with crypto like history. So there were the Satoshi card immediately became highly treasured and highly valued. And that's the first time I can really remember uh, this whole thing actually sort of clicking fully in my head. I mean, I remember being like really enthused by the whole principles of it. But I think it's they've been somewhat lost in history and they are absolutely critical to what was going on here. Even the fact that the cards had art on them that was interesting and that they were crypto-themed art, which is now obviously very, very common. But they were the first to do it that I can remember, certainly. That's interesting. So they were the first ones to begin this kind of almost self-referential or the kind of crypto-mimetics yeah. theme, which is obviously very, very common there. Certainly in any significant numbers. I have this memory that there were a few little playful bits before as people working out exactly how you could technically implement that kind of thing on Counterparty. Because this was pre-Ethereum. We didn't have smart contracts. Counterparty was very, very simple and was, was built essentially with Bitcoin. It was, in fact, it was on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. And they'd found a way to essentially create an NFT on that chain or on related technology. So it was very, uh, it was all very clever. And it was, it's a really important part of history. Really important part of history. And so why didn't NFTs take off on Bitcoin then? Why, why Ethereum? Why is it so much an Ethereum ecosystem thing? So not many people know, but uh, within the Bitcoin code base, they do actually have some functionality to do basic kind of smart contracts, I guess. But that code was pretty much disabled from the start because it was complex and risky. And so Ethereum, Ethereum is designed to allow programmatic tokens, programmatic functionality. Whereas the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't have that. It's not, it's not implemented. It's not activated. So although you can do some things, it's very messy and very, very limited. Whereas Ethereum is very, is very flexible. So Ethereum made complete sense for these things to really be experimental, to find what would work. With Bitcoin, you couldn't get very far. So is it safe to say that NFTs have been very much a kind of Ethereum ecosystem, Ethereum culture, part of Ethereum culture? Yeah, very much so. I mean, although NFTs exist elsewhere, and I think, although you know, people have differing opinions, I think the Wax blockchain is actually interesting in that respect as well, because Wax was created specifically for game items, which are NFTs, and you know, Wax has been in existence for quite a while now. Um, so I think Wax, Wax does deserve quite a significant mention here. But really, the creativity has come from the Ethereum blockchain, because it's, it's just got such a great and diverse community of programmers, gamers, artists, finance now as well, of course. So it's, it's that conflux of different people that make it work. Whereas Wax started as, it was very specifically for games. In fact, they, you know, it came from people who, who, who'd sold game items for things like Counter-Strike to some extent. So I think that immediately limited the creativity in the audience. Whereas Ethereum has such a wide and diverse audience, it makes sense this is where all the creativity is. And I think a lot of people have misunderstood why, but it's that diversity that's critical. 
yeah, interesting. So it's not just the technology that comes from Ethereum, it's also the people, the ecosystem, and the wider culture. So let's go into your, your second moment or person in NFT history. Crypto kitties. I think this was in late 2017, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. I think something like that. And I remember being on a Telegram group the day before release, just talking to Benny and a couple of other guys. And people had been, they'd been doing some private releases and testing. And I picked up like a Genesis kitty at the time. I was like, this is, this is kind of interesting. I didn't appreciate the depth of what they were doing in terms of like the whole breeding mechanics and stuff. Then the day later, CryptoKitties came out on Ethereum. And Ethereum went, gas fees went, and everyone was complaining, oh my God, you've stopped Ethereum, you've taken it over, this is terrible. And I was like, it's not terrible, someone just found product market fit. We don't know how it's going to work out, but this is really interesting. And CryptoKitties, you know, it, it remains popular in its own way, but what was really important was suddenly someone had clicked with collectors, and they'd done it with a game. And then the game turned into art. It actually turned into like these fashionable ones, fashionable kitties and like uh, special kitties, as well as the actual little gamification with breeding. And it was just such a game changer. And in fact, it was quite a surprise. It took a long time for NFTs to really develop beyond CryptoKitties because everyone just tried to clone it. Um, but CryptoKitties was a huge, huge moment. And that CryptoKitties was when NFTs came into being, essentially. I know some people will say it's CryptoPunks and so on, but for me, it's not. It was, it was CryptoKitties. And so why, certainly to people outside of the NFT space or who perhaps heard of CryptoKitties, but then that was it until very recently, um, why was there almost this feeling of an NFT winter, right? So post CryptoKitties, the rest of the world thought that NFTs just died or kind of went quiet. Obviously, we, we know differently, but why do you think a lot of attention just moved away from NFTs after? crypto kitties like wider attention and ecosystem i think people got distracted so first thing is people were trying to copy crypto kitties and forgetting there was a much there was an awful lot more that could be done i think that the ico boom and bust really really affected everyone so we had a project that got affected by the ico boom and bust it's very difficult for us to do what we wanted to do because suddenly we couldn't raise the money for what we, what we had planned so um, you know we were create, we were one of those people creating an nft platform just too early and so i think a lot of people were caught out by that but there, was, there were a lot of artists, and there were a lot of games in production and people releasing things at that time. You just didn't have the attention. The, I said the ICO bust had taken that away. And then decentralized finance started to become the, like the hot thing. And so all the focus was on that. And it was really only as that's really developed that people started realizing the two sort of hooked together. And I don't just mean technically hooked together. I meant the people. People who were doing decentralized finance, you know what? We're all interested in art as well when it comes down to it. And so I think those two are tied together in ways that people don't realize. People started investing in finance. People started trading in different ways. Uh, yes, people started using NFTs within finance for things like insurance products, which is super interesting. But the people who are playing in that financial world, just like in the real physical financial world, they ended up buying art. And that's one of the reasons why I think art has boomed. I didn't foresee it, I have to admit. I always believed in art. I didn't think it would do what it's done. But in the real world, who is buying the art? It's those mega rich or in particular, it's those mega rich people who are often, you know, traders in the city, and we've got our own equivalent. Crypto nouveau riche. So I think that the diversity of community is why it has worked. Everything that tried to specialize, it's not that they failed, but they couldn't make the boom, with, with the exception of Top Shot. So after the ICO boom and bust, who were the people that stayed? I think there were, there were quite a lot of artists. 
So I think people like Xcopy and Josie, they just kept releasing their artworks, kept going. There were game projects from companies like Blockade, Axie Infinity, which is obviously going on and done extremely well. Both of those are very NFT based. There are some other game projects as well, but they've, they're still kind of quiet and kind of still getting to release. But I think, I mean, the one that stands out for me, I guess actually would go on to like the next NFT moment, I suspect, uh, is Axie Infinity, because they have progressed from starting off as a simple game that came out of the CryptoKitties audience. That's where it came from. This is why CryptoKitties is important. And they wanted to do things differently. And I think they've been very, very creative about their use of NFTs. So they always had this plan to have land, just like you see in Decentraland, which is obviously its own thing. But they've got a game designed around it. They have breeding aspects that came from CryptoKitties, but they have they actually have a game planned around that. It's not just breeding. There is a there is a combat game. They have nurtured a community around their NFTs. Their community are playful with the NFTs and that they create other games for those. So NFTs can be used across in multiple ways, not just by the original developer. And the Axie developers, they were very publicly open to third-party projects from their fans and community using their NFTs. I think they were the first ones to nurture proper audience around NFTs. And they did it during that time of bust. And I even was part of conversations about funding rounds for them. Not speaking to them directly other than just conversationally, but people asking me what I thought. And to me, I saw them and I, my description of them to you know, the kind of people that fund was, these guys know what they're doing and you have to leave them to it. You either trust them or you don't. But they've got the creative handle on what to do and they understand the technology best than almost anyone else. And those kind of companies are the ones that are going to do well. And I think that's been borne out. I think they're in a really, really good place right now. They have iterated the NFT in, the, in games better than anyone else. And so as a game developer myself, they're the ones I look to as like they, they, they really, really changed the way we do things. So it's a really interesting point around how these things were financed, especially in the context of, a, of a definitely a crypto winter after ICO mania. So who are the people that were backing these projects in, in specifically Axie Infinity, but then more generally? Um, there was well, angels like me. We backed those projects. Uh, there were a few firms of the, you know, the likes of Joe Lubin's company, Consensus. They took a long time evaluating projects, but they did invest in, you know, I can't say whether they invested in Axie, but they did invest in several different projects in the space. But it was very hard going for people. A lot of people actually spend all their own money. And I know several people who ended up without any crypto because they spent it on their own projects. I mean, we certainly spent a lot on our one. It was the only way to get them done. And some projects died in that time and some projects didn't. And so if we look at Axie Infinity specifically, you know, the demographic, they kind of acknowledge that the demographic currently is very heavily skewed towards men, probably of your and my age, rather than, say, more women or even children. You'd assume that these games, at first glance, if you were totally new to the NFT space, you would not assume that grown middle-aged men or, you know, people on the wrong side of 30 are playing these games. So could you tell us about the users of these games and whether you see that shifting or changing, it's a temporal thing or a permanent thing? No, it's definitely changing. It's already changing for them, as far as I'm aware. But just to give an example from our own Discord. So I work on a couple of games that until now certainly haven't had a crypto angle, although now we're playing with NFTs that are not an integral part of the game. And the reason I mention this is because we have an audience that are mostly between 15 and 21, I would guess, because we do our development in public. So we talk to them all the time. They are not from a crypto space. And now there's quite a lot of discussion on our Discord about crypto stuff. And they're interested and they're starting to be playful. 
and they're finding it fascinating. And I think it's just a no-brainer that, they, that these, are the kind, these are the kind of people that will get more and more involved in this scene. But it's, it's still very, very hard to get into. The user experience is still really painful. What we've discovered, though, is like we know these guys like cosmetics, for example. We know these guys like to get close to our characters, and we've seen how they experience them. So our, our experiment, our next experiment over the next few weeks is actually giving them some NFTs and trying to teach them how to use them. We're not going to sell them. We're just going to give, give our audience some of those NFTs, and we're going to sell others. So we're going to get some experience this. But again, it's youngsters are used to the digital domain. That's where they live. It's where they share things. So for me, it's really an accessibility problem. It's just about getting over the user experience, getting rid of the gas fees, for example, and just making things more affordable. We need to have a lot more stuff that's microtransactions. And I think once we've got more microtransactions into the system, it's going to be much easier to attract that younger audience. So in Axe's case, their move to their own chain allows them to do more microtransactions. And then it's up to them to develop their game to ensure that it's easy for people to come in without having to spend lots of money and they can either earn their way up or they can just enjoy the game without spending lots of money. That's a challenge for them. But I think in general terms, we have to have easier to use user interfaces and user experiences and microtransactions are absolutely critical. Yeah, and so that actually feeds quite nicely into your hope for the future of NFTs. You've alluded to some things there that you think are going to be important to it. It's being more more inclusive, I guess, and from a financial perspective. And then, of course, that feeds into demographics. But as your kind of closing statement, you know, what is your hope for the future of NFTs? I'm actually going to answer a previous question because I didn't address something. I didn't address the demographic of male versus female, which I think is a problem. I collect NFT designer toys. I collect and I trade them. The one I like the most right now is one called Pips, which is, if you go and look at Pips artwork, which you can find on Rarible or OpenSea, that is not targeted at a male audience. I might be a male collector, but that artwork is fantastic and it is not male targeted at all. And I think the more we see artists, like a diverse group of artists getting involved, the more they'll find an audience that is not over 30 male demographic or white males or whatever. We need to have a diverse group of artists creating diversity of art. That would also be reflected in games increasingly, but that that takes a lot longer. It's it's art where it will come first. So I think it's on all of us to encourage that and to help bring people into the ecosystem. But what surprised me is like how good that artwork was and how targeted it is yet it has forgotten audience and it can't just be me that's awesome silly tuna thanks for joining us no thank you very much thanks so much for listening head over to nfts x wtf to follow us on twitter and subscribe to make sure you never miss a weekly podcast